Father in heaven, I thank you that you are our refuge and our strength. I thank you in times of help, uh, we might recognize our need for you, and we might also recognize the power that dwells in us through the Spirit uh, whom you have sent. We pray that your Spirit would be mightily known to us today, and that he would illuminate these words and inscribe them onto our hearts. It's in your precious and holy Son's name that we pray. Amen. Like I said, turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 17, but we're going to read, to start our service, we're going to read verses 1 to 17. Uh, I'll explain a little bit more in just a second, but it, it kind of helps us with the context of verses 9 uh, to 17. We won't, we won't spend too much time just thinking about what the context there tells us, but nonetheless, I think it's important. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world that I, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thro gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever, whether, whatever you wish, excuse me, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Verse nine: As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends. For all that I have, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. First, we're going to start in verse 17, and set the stage for what we are going to talk about. Sometimes sometimes it's it's better to, to kind of let some... Revelation happen and kind of work our way to the conclusion from the start to the finish, and that's 
That's all well and good. Sometimes it's necessary to right off the bat explain what we're talking about. Today, I think, is one of those days. Jesus tells us the purpose of what this particular passage is about. He says, these things I command you, meaning the things that I have just said to you, I command you for the purpose so that you will love one another. So that sets the stage for us. This is ultimately what we are trying to do in life and, more importantly, in evangelism or in ministry or in, to use the terms that Jesus is using, in our fruit bearing. This is done so that we might love one another. So, let's start with the first eight verses. Real, really, very briefly, there's so much in here. And last week would have been the week that we would have covered this if we would have not had a Psalm Sunday. It's okay, we'll just briefly look at this. There's, there are a lot of things that are going on. I'm going to give you the highlight. Jesus is referring to himself. Again, this is one of those I am statements. If you were here Wednesday night, we talked about these I am statements that Jesus makes, kind of connecting himself to the deity of God. A couple weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 10, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he's, he's taking this, and he's, he's kind of taking this I am statement, which when God gives it in the Old Testament, he says, I am who I am. And he kind of says, you just have to live with it because I am actually God. You don't get to question me. You don't, you don't get to know me fully. In the New Testament, we see a, a full revelation found in Jesus. Jesus goes, okay, now I'm going to explain a little bit of what it means for God to be God. I am the good shepherd. Now I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Here is what I think the main message is. When we are connected to God through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being the true vine, when we are connected to Jesus Christ as his branches, our primary purpose, or, or maybe better put, one of the primary purposes is that we bear much fruit. Now, this happens, and it is completely and permanently interlinked with our, what we talked about last week in our Psalm Sunday, in our glorification of God and lifting him up. By lifting God up, we ultimately are bearing fruit, or we are telling people about him. This is what praise ultimately is. It is the vocalization of the things we see in God. These things are permanently inter, interwoven together, but we have a, a singular purpose here on this earth to share, proclaim the truth of Jesus in that he is the Savior of the world. We are to bear much fruit. Jesus gives this great emphasis when he starts off by, his, by, by saying, if you don't bear fruit, the father, the vine dresser, he will remove you. Now, I have no idea if this is a statement that's talking about, talking about eternal life or anything like that. We're not talking about, about uh, once saved, always saved. We're talking about this simple reality that, that our purpose is to evangelize, is to bear much fruit. And when we don't, we're doing something against God's plan and purpose. And we should be very weary of not doing so. We should be very concerned about the task at hand to tell people about Jesus. But here is, I think, the bigger point. We had this great and important task of bearing much fruit, but it is only done through the power 
of the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you cut a branch off a tree or off a a vine, it will eventually die if it's not grafted into another life-giving trunk or or vine. It will eventually die. What Jesus is, is... telling us or, or using here is just like la- or just like two weeks ago when we talked about Jesus being a good shepherd he's using a picture that we that we readily can see in the world and he's going to apply some of those principles to himself or to us as his as his followers as his to use his terminology his, his branches we in ourselves have no life to bear fruit let's put it in a di- in different terminology we talk about cars I think many of us know what a car is or maybe have a better understanding, better working understanding of a car. Anybody ever run out of gas? When I was when I was first when I first got my license, I ran out of gas thousands of times. I think every tank of gas I ran out of gas. So here's here's what I mean by this. What Jesus is saying here in 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 a different analogy, one that maybe is just a little bit closer to home for us. Jesus says you you might be the engine that moves the car forward, but without the gas in the engine, the engine doesn't go anywhere. Right? You could have an engine with five million horsepower, like a rocket to the to the moon, or you can have a little junky, beat down, rusted bucket of nothing that has five horsepower. And if you have no gas or no fuel in either one. They're the same. They're going to sit there. It's the fuel that moves. This is what Jesus says. You can't do and you can't bear fruit without me. You can't do it. He will later say, and and you didn't even get to choose to be the one who bears fruit, even though I'm the one who's giving you the power to bear fruit. You didn't even choose to be a fruit bearer. I chose you. You didn't choose me. And it all rolls back to Jesus, to to God and his authority and his sovereignty. And I think this is extremely important for us to understand what Jesus is about to do. I think there is a reason why he tells us this before he talks about love. Because it is this understanding that will help curb our false understandings about what does it mean for me to love one another. Jesus is the power. He is the source of everything that we are about to do. But we are about to do something. See, this is the misunderstanding about about God's sovereign work in the world. It doesn't mean that we are just pawns that are are not actually doing anything. We're just being, you know, we, we have we have nothing. We're just simply there. No, God uses us. He is the power. He is the source. He is the gasoline in our engines. He's moving us forward. He's called us to do all this. Yes, God is absolutely sovereign, but he is sovereign in his actions upon us that that move us. And from our perspective, however this methodology happens, from our perspective, we have to then go, okay, I'm going to take a step forward. Knowing all the while that it's in the power of Jesus that I take a step forward, and that it's in the calling of Jesus that I know to take a step forward, and everything that I'm doing is ultimately falls back upon Jesus, falls back upon the Trinity moving us. But from my perspective, I need to make an action. 
Now, the reason why I say that verses 1 to 8 are so important is that if we just read verses 9 to 17, perhaps we miss this. Perhaps we think it's something in myself. It's my strength that is doing this. No, absolutely not. It is all through the power and the strength of God. But from my perspective, God is now calling me to do something. He strengthened me, strengthens me to do it, calls me to do it, and therefore now I should do it. What does he tell me to do? To bear much fruit so that I might love one another. We might love one another. Verse 9. Jesus shifts from this, from this picture, a little bit of this fruit bearing. He shifts to a new, a new terminology. and he says, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how, how the Trinity can, can illuminate so much for us in thinking about the magnitude of what was just st- st- stated here. We think about this perfect unity between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. How for, for all eternity, they've had a, a perfect relationship. They don't need mankind to fulfill them in any way, shape, and form. But they have perfect love, compassion, and purpose amidst the three of them, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Godhead. And so Jesus says, as, as the Father loved me, I love you, so abide in my love. Perfect love is what Jesus is referring to here. Every instance of the word love, if you have an ESV, I don't know about your other, other translations, if there's other words that are being used here, but in, in the ESV, every instance where love is used, it's coming from this root agape. And some of you have heard that term before, agape. Now, the word itself, if you look at the Greek word, it's not actually agape. It's, a, it's the different tenses of the word agape, and it doesn't really matter. It's coming from the same root, agape. In the Old Testament, it's the word hesed, which is what we translate as steadfast love. It is unconditional, constant, push love. See, our culture, I've been really harping on this recently, our culture has told us that love is about those hormone responses that make us excited and have butterflies in our stomach. And this is why so many people can say, I've fallen out of love with this person. To translate, what that means is I no longer have bodily, natural hormone response to this person. That is such garbage love. Do you get this? Like, like really, think about this for just a second. If, if somebody said to you, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do something nice to you. Right? We'll just we'll back it away from love for a second. I'm going to do something nice to you, for you, to you, for you, whatever. And they say, I'm going to do so because I must do this. Versus I'm going to do so because I have chosen to do this. Which one is better? I hope that all of you agree that it's the chosen. If Missy has to love me, if she has to be kind and respectful to me, if she, if she must do it because her body is forcing her to do this, that's, that's so worthless. It's so boring. It has no value. It doesn't, it doesn't raise anything up. But because Missy has made a commitment to me, she has decided in her heart and in her being that no matter what the physical emotion, no matter what the chemical reaction to me is, she is still going to choose to show me kindness, respect, and love. Now, here's the beauty of it, and this is God's 
plan and design, all these other loves, like erotic love, and I don't just mean in the, in, in the sexual manner, but erotic love, meaning chemical reaction love, like the butterflies in the stomach, and I really enjoy being with you. When, when, when that becomes secondary to unconditional, steadfast, agape love, this emotional love is expanded and made permanent. But whenever this is the primary method of love in your relationship, it will eventually fade, as proof by our culture. How many marriages have fallen out of love with each other? This is why when you see somebody who has been married for 50 years and they're still a little bit passionate with each other, and you're like, man, how can you still actually like this person? You know what their answer is? Because 50 years ago, I decided that no matter what happened, I was going to continue to serve and love this person. And because that commitment, the exciting aspects of love that we call love in our culture today, continue. This is the love of God to the Son. A decided love. Not a, I must because I have a chemical reaction love. A decided love. An unconditional Meaning no matter what happens, no matter what actions Jesus did or would have taken or potentially hypothetically could have taken, God's love would have remained. It is unconditional. So Jesus says, as the Father loved me for all eternity, I love you unconditionally. So abide in my love. Abide in my love. Hmm. What does that mean? I think what it means is to dwell in it, is to tarry in it, is to is to seek it out. Love that is a choice, love that is a decision, is always action based. It's not an emotion. It's not something that's happening within me. It's something that I have decided or chosen to do. Therefore, action happens. So God has actively, physically loved the Son. The Father has physically loved the Son for, the, for all eternity. The, the Son physically has loved us. We know this because He went to the cross. He died for us. That was His physical act of love for us. So if He loves us, abide in my love. He says, abide in it. She cannot look at anybody a sports fan right right now is like sports heaven because you got baseball going on. You got basketball and playoffs football. We just had the draft. And so we're talking about football again because the draft. I don't know why we have to talk about it so much, but there's so many things going. So if you really love football, basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever, what are you doing? You don't just sit at home, not not not. Observing it, no. You get on your TV and you turn to ESPN or whatever channel it's on. And you abide in it. You tarry in it. You, you pay attention to it. You get notifications on your phone. You, you're constantly dwelling in sports. This is what Jesus says to do with him. He says, the Father loved me unconditionally for all eternity. I love you unconditionally for all eternity. Now abide, look for, seek, understand... Know my love. Anybody know how to do that? 
I think Jesus gives us a clue here. Verse 10, he says, if. Now, every one of us should go, wait a minute, if. Ryan, you just said unconditional. Okay, let's think about this for just a second. It's, if, it's not a condition to Jesus' love. Jesus' love is unconditional and permanent. If is a condition to how do I abide in, my, in, in Jesus' love. If you, what? Do keep my commandments. You will abide in my love. How do, I, how do I abide in Jesus' love? Know the things that he said and talked about. Anybody know how to do that? Uh-oh. The Bible. It's shocking to me, shocking, that, and, and, and I'm going let's to, be, let's be real here. I spend a lot of time here doing this job. Preparing sermons, preaching, talking to people about the Bible. And for a, a lot of the time, at, for me being the pastor of this church, I spent very little time in the Word of God. It's not a compliment to myself. That's a very harsh statement to myself in my own heart. Something that I believe is being changed in me through the power of the Spirit of God. It shocks me how, how, how infinite amount of access we have to Scripture, and yet we are arguably some of the most biblically illiterate people who have ever stepped foot on this earth. We don't know our Bibles because we don't spend time in our Bibles. We don't know the commandments of Jesus because we don't, we don't look for the commandments of Jesus. We, we instead abide in other things. Jesus says, you want to abide in me, you want to understand my love, listen to my commandments. Read, read the Bible. Pretty simply put, read the Bible. And, and, and anybody, anybody ever get confused when you read the Bible? Everybody raise your hands. Raise your hands right now. If you've ever read the Bible, you have been confused when reading it. At some point, it's inevitable. It's part of human nature. It, it's just like if you would read anything ever. Sometimes you have to use, actively use your brains to understand something. Especially something of worth, of value. And so you ask the question, well, Ryan, I get very confused when I read the Bible. Good. You know what else we do? We continue in conversation with our Father in heaven. We pray. Anybody ever read a passage of Scripture and go, man, I don't understand that. And then immediately go, God in heaven, refuge, strength, strong tower, all these things that we read in the Psalms. I don't get it. Teach me. Show me. You have, you have indwelt me with the Spirit of God. Now, now give me understanding that I might know, that I might learn. Give me the gasoline so that my engine can run. But I think so many of us, we get very frustrated because we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. And, and, and I think it's a compounding issue. We, we don't know how to know God's commandments. And so we stop reading the Bible, which is the only place that we find his commandments, the only place we learn him, we learn about him or know him. And pretty soon it's harder and harder to understand. And, and so we spend less time and it's harder. And, and Get it? Get it yet? That's why I said it's so important for us to first recognize that all of this power comes from Jesus. All of this emphasis in our lives, all of our desires for Jesus and his commandments come from Jesus first. Because it could sound very much like I'm encouraging us to be works-based people. It's not what I'm saying at all. But because Jesus has given you the Spirit of God to draw you into who He is, to abide in His love, now do it. 
He's given you the strength to understand it. He's given you the power to, to move forward in your walk with Christ. Now do it. But why? Why do we do this? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is not happiness. Said that before. Joy manifests itself in happiness a lot. But it, it is not synonymous with happiness. Joy is a recognition or a realization of our presence in God's created purpose and order. Which means that there are times when I can go through difficulties and hardships and, and struggles. And I can see that, like Paul says in Romans, all things work together for those who love me for good. I can see that God is at work in my life and, in, and he is moving in me. And I can, I can stand upon this understanding that God is on my side. And that gives me joy. And here's, a, here's, I think, a little secret. The more we abide and search for God's work in our lives, the more we see it. Did you know, anybody, anybody in here think that God is not at work in your life? Did you know that he is? The word of God says it. He is at work in your life. Perhaps you just don't have eyes to see it. So open them. But I don't think that's where it stops. I don't think that that's where it stops. Jesus then goes on. He says, this is my commandment. Again, referring to the things that he was just talking about. Bearing fruit, abiding in Jesus. This is my commandment so that it doesn't stop with you loving God or you being in God's love and Jesus' love. It stops outside of us. It comes to us. Jesus loves me. This is why when, when the Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if he would have stopped there, Jesus could have stopped in verse 11. But he doesn't. He goes on. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because God's outpouring of love to you is supposed to be outpoured to everybody else who is around you. God outpours his love to you so that you might love others. Jesus says, abide in my love because you now have joy and that joy produces love to others. I give you these commandments. I, this is my commandment to you that you might love one another as I have loved you. And when he says this, he, not, he has not yet died. He's not yet suffered. He's done a lot of things that are pretty spectacular. But then he goes on. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you don't think that that's the most difficult commandment in Scripture, I, I, I'm missing a bigger, more difficult one. Here's what Jesus says. He says, listen, you, you call yourselves Christians, right? Yeah, followers of Christ. Do we follow him to the cross? Do we, do we sacrificially love other people? Do, have we chosen? You ready for this? This is what Jesus says. This is, the, this is the greatest expression of love that can exist. One person giving his own life to raise another person to life. 
You know what I mean by that? To raise a person to life. See, this is this is how this is confusing to us because because we don't know what we don't know what it means to put somebody first. Sometimes what we mean is we put somebody first because that's their desire, and so we we give them their desires, and and so that's me loving. This is what our culture says love is, right? That, that whatever you think is right, go ahead and do it because because nobody can speak morality or truth into your life. But that's not necessarily true. Sometimes to love somebody to life. To love somebody and raise them to life means that you speak hard things into their lives. Jesus spoke a lot of hard things into the lives of the disciples. At one point, Jesus calls Peter Satan. That's not a nice thing to say to somebody. That's a horrible thing to say to somebody. But for Peter, it was necessary for him to hear this. It was Jesus' act of love to raise Peter to life because he was missing something. See, Jesus says here, he says, listen... And let's compare the cross. Jesus, Jesus dies on the cross for the purpose of raising mankind to life. Greater love has none than this. There is, no other, there is no expression of love greater than when you give yourself for another's life. This does not just mean in a physical life and death situation. Now, it could. It very easily could be. Maybe you're in a grocery store and the grocery store is getting robbed and you try to help somebody's going to be shot and you jump in front of the bullet perhaps that is it but i don't think that's what jesus is talking about here i think more in lines for for most of us more in lines with what paul is talking about in corinthians he talks about meat sacrifice he says hey he says it's lawful for me to eat meat sacrifice idols there's an issue in the corinthians church people had issue because they're like if i eat this meat at one point was sacrificed in a pagan temple, does that mean that I'm participating in that pagan worship? Is that wrong of me? And Paul says, no, it's not wrong. But you know what is wrong? When if I see that it's fine and my, my brother in Christ has an issue with it and, and they see me eating that meat, sacrifice idols, and then they go and they say, well, Paul did it, so I probably could do it, even though they feel a conviction not to do it, it makes them feel uncomfortable. They go and they eat that meat, sacrifice idols. You know what they just did? They sinned. And, and they sin because of Paul's influence in their life. So Paul says, hey, you do have this freedom, but you sacrifice that freedom all day long. You sacrifice the freedom of life given to you by Jesus so that somebody else might be raised to life. Now, sometimes that means you have a conversation with that person about that meat sacrifice silence or whatever situation it might be. Sometimes it means you don't, you don't address the issue because it's too difficult. They're not to that point yet. We give up our own lives so that others might live. Hmm. No. We're going to have to skim for a second. We're running out of time. Jesus goes on, he says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. And I think what Jesus is referring to here is that he has been speaking to his disciples, and he speaks to us. And so we no longer are blind to what Jesus is doing in this world. Here, here put simply, here's what Jesus is doing in this world. He's calling people to himself, and he is using his called people to do so. We're not blind to Jesus' tasks, his, his, his actions anymore, so he... He no longer calls us servants. We're not just servants. We're his friends. We're his companions. We're his partners in ministry. 
But he ends in verse 16, sort of ends in verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Here's what I think we see. Jesus gives us power in his son. He gives us strength to go and to move the vehicle forward. He's the gasoline. He's the call to the car. He has everything. And then he says, now move. Now go. If you get confused, stick stick with him. Stay in his love. Abide in his word. Read the Bible. Pray daily so that we might know his commandments and be changed and transformed to look more like him as we go through life. And because of this, joy is filled up in us and then pours out of us. And then we choose to walk through life again through the power and the working of the Spirit of God in our lives, the the life that is given to us by our being branches of Jesus' vine. And we move through life and we seek in every situation, every situation to, to raise somebody else to life, even if that means I raise myself to death. And here's the beautiful thing about this. When we do this, when we abide in God, in His love, the love of His Son, twice in this passage we are given a a monstrous statement. When you do this and you ask of something in the name of Jesus to my Father, it will be given to you. Now, again... We dance on this line throughout, throughout the whole of Scripture, this, this conditional life that we might live. But if you're going through life and you're asking questions of God and you don't seem to be getting responses from God, my first challenge, my first challenge is are you abiding in His love? I'm not talking about a checklist. I'm not talking about did you read your Bible two chapters today? I'm talking, about, I'm talking about, are you in God's love? Are you listening to, are you communing with God? Are you speaking to God? Are you listening to God? Are you hearing His calls into your life? I think many of us, if we're honest, we recognize that this is not something that we are. We know we should do better. But we don't think we have the strength. Ask for it. Ask for strength to walk closer with the Lord Jesus, to know his law and his commandments more, to recognize when he is prompting us to move and to act. And all of this, all of this, is for the purpose of love. Not emotional, not because we have to, but because we choose to love. As we go through life, we love the people who are in our church. We love the people who are easy to love. And we love the people who aren't. We seek day in and day out. We seek day in and day out in every single encounter. How can I love this person to life? Even if that means I raise myself to death. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of your son Jesus. I thank you that as your word tells us that we are clean because of his work. Lord, and I also thank you that you continue to work in our lives. You every single day draw us closer to yourself. Empower us more boldly. Prune us when we have dead things that hold us back. Lord, I thank you that you have called us into ministry for you. Though not for all of us occasionally, but for all of us, we are called to proclaim the truth of your message, the truth of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would instill in us a recognition of your, your spirit, that he would proclaim in our hearts the truths of the word of God. We might know Jesus more. We might understand his love. We might abide in it each and every day more fully than we did the, the previous. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your son Jesus, for his work on the cross, for freeing me from the bondage that I had to sin. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your un, unconditional love. I pray this in your precious and holy son's name.